Welcome to a special edition of Money Should Ask. We're here live at FinCon, Austin, Texas. I'm so excited today because our next guest is Chelsea Norton from NIFI, the National Endowment for Financial Education. Well, it's another exciting episode of Money Should Ask, and thanks to NIFI.org, the National Endowment of Financial Education, for sponsoring live podcasting at FinCon 2021. Our next guest is Chelsea Norton. She is the Managing Director of Marketing at NIFI, the National Endowment for Financial Education, where she leads corporate marketing strategy and executing tactics for the organization's educational and consumer-focused resources. She also manages the search engine optimization strategy for NIFI's nine websites, increasing each site's online market share and reaching more than one million users every year. Chelsea brings a passion for financial capability to her work. Having been employed for several years in her early career at a small credit union as a collections specialist and loan officer, she understands firsthand how financial matters encompass the lives and well-being of Americans today. Chelsea is busy supporting the micro chain of organic restaurants that she co-owns with her partner. She's also an avid athlete who enjoys weightlifting, running, CrossFit, mountain biking, and hiking. Chelsea, thanks so much for joining. Hi, Bob. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm excited because financial literacy is sort of a thing. Yeah. It's a little bit of a problem. Yes. And let me ask you this. Did you... As, as a young child, I always say, I want to get into finances. I want to d- get into counseling. Like, what did young Chelsea want to do before she got to Nefi? You know, it is really interesting, but I do feel like like some of the fun kind of formative memories that I have of uh, from my childhood were when my mom would take us to the credit union and we would get to like make a little deposit into our kid club account. And that's the credit union that I started working for when I was old enough to get a job. I said, I want to work for that credit union when I was seven. And I did. So yes, I have been a money nerd my whole life. (laughs) And so to that point though, did your mom, so obviously she took you to the credit union to make your deposits. Um, Was money talked about in a positive way? It sounds like there was support there. Yeah, absolutely. My family really did model um, kind of good open communication about finances. Um, my, my, My father was the sole provider. My mother was the one who kind of managed the home and managed finances. And um, she set a really good example for me. She would, you know, sit out every month and uh, have her little kind of budget, you know, paperwork and have her little, she had a recipe card box that she kind of kept all of her bills in and things like that. And I saw her really being proactive about her money Mm -hmm. uh, and money management in the household. And even though um, my my parents uh, were both first generation college students and they really didn't have a lot um, when I was a child, they, they, they showed me how to be frugal and they also showed me how to, you know, really pursue what I wanted and, and to become successful for myself. So yeah, I, I was very fortunate. That's so awesome. And is there one memory of a financial mantra that was in your house that mom or dad said? I mean, you know, definitely my family really did practice putting things in savings before uh, before we, we had fun with any of our money. So we had little jars that we kept in the kitchen underneath one of the counters. And uh, when we got $10, we had to take, you know, three of those dollars and put them in savings. And then we had to take another of those dollars and put it into a donation fund uh, for charity. And then we were allowed to spend the rest. So 
definitely feel like that kind of say, you know, pay yourself first, save first, give something. And then you have the rest of that money to use for other, you know, for whatever you want. That was, that was taught to us from a young age. And how do you, cause I hear this from a lot of people. I pay myself first, I put it in the savings and now an emergency came up. Yeah. And so I'm just going to dip into that money and then I'll pay myself back later. Like when are we paying ourselves and when are we self-destructing our, our money that we're putting aside. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like your emergency savings is for emergencies. And so that means like, you know, I, I, I fight with this myself. Like it, it, it's, it's, it's not like the, the untouchable, like you should never touch it and you should feel super bad about it when you have to, because right. that's what it's there for. Right. So, right. you know, I do think it's a practice of kind of having compassion for yourself and saying like, I, is this legitimate? Like, is this a need that I need it for? And maybe that's also about like, kind of sketching that out for yourself when you create the account. Like this is when I feel like it's a true emergency and I should take out this money. You know, if it's a medical thing, if it's, if it's a fun thing that I really feel like is a life experience that I really want to have, that's on my bucket list, you know, and, um, and I feel like I can build that back up confidently. I mean, it doesn't always have to be like a tragedy. Right. So right. yeah, I think like set those rules for yourself and then, and then stick by them. Right. 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 No, absolutely. And why is financial education, um, financial literacy important to you? I mean, obviously you're working for a foundation that really promotes this. Yeah. Um, but you have to be, well, my belief is if you're working for a nonprofit, you have to be passionate about what you're talking about absolutely. and what you're bringing. And so what is your passion around financial literacy? You know, I, when I worked for this credit union, I worked for them for like seven years and um, it led up into the 2008 financial crisis. And so, um, and at the time I was collecting debt um, uh, for the credit union and I really saw firsthand people's lives just destroyed, you know, and sometimes in a, in, overnight by, um, you know, this big thing that was kind of beyond their control. And so it just really kind of resonated really deeply with me that, um, like money can really make or break somebody's like emotional well-being, you know, mental well-being and like physical life. And I just really wanted to, um, from that moment, like see if I could have a positive impact in some way. Yeah. And, and Nifi, you know, Nifi's all about providing, um, you know, guidelines for what is effective financial education and, and kind of on a broader scale, like helping kind of elevate the financial well-being of people in general. And so I feel like, I get to do kind of the flip side of what I did in the past. Um, that was really difficult work and, and I really love what I do at Nefi and it's very challenging, but I just feel like so uplifted every day because we really are just trying to make a difference, you know, trying to kind of shed light, um, bring proper research to the field, um, really just help people be better and do better. I think that's so awesome. And for me personally, when I wrote The Money Nerve and really started doing podcasting and workshops was to help remove the stigma of shame around yeah. this financial lack of literacy. Yeah. And um, the other big thing that I've discovered is so many people feel like alone. They feel so isolated. Mm -hmm. And it's not something we run around saying, oh my God, I just filed bankruptcy. And oh my, my debt's at 100,000. And I just lost everything in the stock market. It's not stuff we, we just share openly. No. There's so much shame around it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I know that we're going to talk about today, and I, because this is an exciting topic to me, um, is financial uh, infidelity. Yep. And I was sharing with you, I had somebody come to me who the mom would buy new things 
and then hide them in a closet for a month. And all the kids were in on it. The kids were in on it, right? Yeah. Um, some collusion there. And the mom would wait a month, wear stuff. And then when the dad would say, wait a minute, that's new. No, no, no. I've had it for a month or two. That's so sneaky. It's so sneaky. And is this common? Like, are there are, I think, because I used to have employees that worked for me that would say, give me my bonus check in a separate check so my spouse doesn't know about it. Yeah. This is what you're talking about, I think, when you talk about financial infidelity. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, you're correct. It is something that's really common. So Nefi's been really following kind of this topic of financial infidelity for over a decade. Um, we field polls uh, and, and ask people questions about, um, you know, the, the kinds of things that they keep to themselves, that they maybe keep from their partner, that they're doing, that they're not letting their partner or spouse know about. Um, and we found uh, our most recent uh, poll results are going to actually be coming out and published on Nefi org um, in the next few weeks but uh, the most recent poll kind of is in line with our prior polls which shows that about one in three people admit to some kind of financial infidelity or financial deception and you know what's interesting about that is also 84% of those respondents say that it impacted their relationship in some way so this is wow. not right this is not a, um, a harmless you know thing that people are doing um, and it is really widespread and really common well you know I'm know people out there that are listening and yes if you have five credit cards that your spouse doesn't know about or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whoever you're in a relationship with that's sort of some infidelity yeah now i'm going to ask a a question because there is a fine line i think too mm -hmm. if i'm a person that's in uh, a situation where there might be domestic violence sure right? I do actually need to protect myself. Absolutely. And I, I just bring that up because to me, that's a clear situation where you do need to take care of yourself. Yeah. And I want to really separate that there are situations where you might need to keep some information close to the cuff. That's absolutely right. Yes. And we definitely would never want someone that feels like they need to do that because they're planning for their own safety to feel like they should feel guilty about that or that they're doing something wrong. I mean, when we're talking about financial infidelity, we really are talking about like couples that are trying to make it together. And that's, that's, a, that's not something that you can do if you're in an abusive relationship of any kind. So, you know, in those cases, I would say that's something that's a necessity for that person's personal safety. And that is not what we're talking about. Yeah. And I just, it's important to name that because absolutely. Absolutely. Some people out there might go, oh, look. no, mm -hmm. it's, it's a different situation. One of the things that I've discovered with clients uh, when they come in for a tax meeting or when I do workshops with people around money, couples, uh, they will say, Bob, tell us who's right on this or that situation. And I'll always say before I answer, uh, are you on the same team or is somebody trying to get a win here? Mm -hmm. And what's the benefit of the win um, in terms of this relationship that involves two people. Right. And it's shocking to them. They're mortified mm -hmm. when I call them out. But is, it, is this something that sounds familiar? I mean, absolutely. You know, it's the same kind of game. And that's really the question that you have to ask yourself, I think, as like being, being a partner, being in a relationship, like, are you trying to win here or are you actually really trying to like do something kind of together as a couple, right? So, I mean, financial infidelity, um, you know, it can start uh, as something that's kind of benign, as something that you feel like is a really small thing. Like maybe it's just one purchase that you don't talk about, you know, you don't share. Um, but the real question is like, is there a rift in kind of your communication that the, the, have you not talked about these values as a couple? Have you not had those conversations that you should be having? And is that what's kind of leading to this? You know, and then also it's a slippery, slippery slope. So right. 
it could start with one transaction, but it could lead to hiding debts, right? right. And, and when you get into those kinds of things, I mean, that starts to get into the kind of things that actually create separations and divorce and the things that could really end the relationship, which is why money is cited as such a common reason that people don't stay together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting. I find that a lot of people, if I say, do you want to have a conversation about money? They actually think I said, do you want to have a fight? about money, totally. right? Yes. I, uh, do you want to argue about money? Right. And, and so there's already a trigger for a lot of people um, because in some families there is uh, money means conflict. Absolutely. I mean, it's a fully loaded thing for so many people, right? It, it makes me think of the, uh, the, the story that you were just talking about, about the, the mom who, you know, was kind of modeling that for her kids. And I was just thinking like, that's what they're learning, you know, so they're going to carry that forward into another relationship because that's what they're seeing is like the dynamics. So, I mean, I do feel like it's so easy to just kind of like root that in conflict. And I think it's because, you know, we're just naturally defensive. And I, I feel like, you know, kind of the antidote to that is really just having open communication, even if that is to kind of set boundaries. I find it so interesting that a lot of people don't have any conversation before they get married. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's, and I'll ask people on my show, did you check your, your partner's credit? Did you find it? Did you talk about things? Are you a spender? Are you a saver? And a lot of people will say, no, we just married for love. Mm -hmm. um, I had a client who married somebody. They didn't discuss it. And they had some big refunds. They hadn't filed some returns. And we filed three or four years of returns. And there was about $40,000 in refunds coming. Wow. Well, they didn't show up. Well, it turns out that one of them had about $100,000 of student loan debt they had never paid and about $100,000 worth of credit card debt that they had never shared. Oh, man. And I actually asked the other person, are you angry? And they said, you know, I actually married for better or worse, and we're going to figure it out. Yeah. I don't know that many people would do that. That's a strong couple. I mean, just like, you know, there's a reason that it's called financial infidelity because infidelity implies that there's some kind of a betrayal, some kind of a secret, something that's not being told. And I mean, really, at the end of the day, that is something that erodes trust in a relationship. And trust is really essential. You know, if yeah. you're going to try and stick together, whether it's a marriage or a partnership or whatever, if you're going to stick together for the long haul, you really got to feel like that person has your back. And it's really hard to do that when you also feel like there's some little thing that you have to insert there that you can't share. Or you got to keep secret or something like that. Do you see a lot of couples where one makes more money than the other? Um, and then uses it maybe as a way to like, I make the money, even though you run the household or whatever it might be. And then that causes the other person to say, well, you know what, I'm going to start my own little nest egg. Yeah, I mean, I really feel like more so than that, I think that what, what the biggest trigger for kind of financial infidelity is just people that haven't had that conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, control of money can be a factor, but I mean, really, you know, I think when people don't actually kind of agree on how that's going to be managed, mm -hmm. that's really where it comes into play. So I think you know, any kind of financial situation or arrangement that you have with your finances, it's it's fine as long as you're both on the same page. It's when you're not on the same page. And that's why, I mean, love is wonderful. Um, and we all want to have, you know, a, a relationship that's kind of founded on love. But at the same time, like, you can you can still have that relationship be as, as wonderful and as passionate and also kind of figure out these details and just have that be like the, the subtext that we got out of the way. And I feel like that's what's really important is just making sure that you're on the same page from the beginning. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I've, I'm thinking to a couple of workshops that I had, but 
One of the things that I've told people when I try and get them to start conversations, of course, shamelessly, I'll say, use my book. Mm -hmm. um, because at the end of each chapter, it goes through fear, it goes through emotion, it goes through family history. And those are all important components if as a child I was shamed or if as a child I was told, you can have whatever you want. Um, mm -hmm. If I have a fear of running out of money or if I have a fear of not spending enough, like whatever those things are, that if they can go through and have these conversations, how do you encourage people to start these conversations? Because they're scary yeah. and they're loaded. Yeah. They are loaded with emotions and trauma. Landmines. Landmines. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. That's a really good question. So, you know, the first thing I think that we tell people is to accept that it's going to be a difficult conversation. Yeah. Like you just got to know it's not going to be easy. It's not like a by the way. You know, also keep in mind how you're doing that. I heard something really interesting one time at a relationship uh, kind of event that I went to. And they said, like, when you're like, think about when you're in a car and you're driving next to each other. What's like what you're doing? You're, you're in a vehicle that is propelling itself at a very high speed and anything can potentially happen. And so there's like this subconscious part of you that has to be ready for anything. And you're also not facing each other as a couple. And so that that person that was teaching this session was saying like, never have an important conversation when you can't look at each other and there is the potential for like anything to change at any moment. That is not the right time to hit somebody up about like talking about your money, right? Or talking yeah. about a delicate subject. So I try to always keep that in mind and just so understand that it's gonna be difficult. Think about what you want from the conversation and then really importantly, don't sabotage and don't set traps, right? Like you don't wanna, catch someone up in doing something that you feel or suspect that they've been doing and then and then expect to have a productive conversation like really try to approach this from like i want to solve this problem together i want to keep this relationship together and then also get on the same page so it doesn't if you haven't had like nobody's perfect and the chances are you actually haven't had this conversation with the person that you're in a relationship with already and and if you haven't that's okay it's never too late to gain ground to get on the same page to figure out what your values are and to figure out how you want to operate right so don't say that it's too late and so i can't do it anytime now is the right time anytime yeah. is the right time to have this conversation and then you know, when we talk about infidelity of any kind, really there is a loss of trust. Um, you yeah. know, we talked about that before. So understand that you're gonna have to rebuild that trust together and do that by having a lot of conversations and being really transparent. You know, it's really just set the example for each other about how you want this relationship to improve and to move forward and, and just give it a shot. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think that part about difficult conversations is we have to learn how to stay. Mm-hmm. And I think so often in this day and age, we run. Yeah. And if we know it's uncomfortable, we know it's difficult. And if we can learn to tolerate like what's coming at us, mm -hmm. the judgments, the triggers, and know that we've just both got some history, yeah. that if we can just keep breathing, take a lot of breaths. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it's important in the timing. Like, let's not have this conversation after you just got fired. Right. Let's not have this conversation in the middle of a crisis. And it might even be on Monday, hey, do you think this weekend we could set aside 20 minutes and to, and, and then not make each other wrong? I had this woman that came to me and she said, you know, my husband won't get on board with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, probably as long as you keep going, when are you gonna get on board with me and do this right? He's never going to get on board. Maybe you could approach it from, I'm really trying to get my financial stuff together and I'm wondering how I can get you to support me to be a better me. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. She, oh my God, I could do that, right? Because the defenses are down yeah. when we engage people to actually help us instead of you, 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 you. Um, that we have to find the we mm-hmm. and the place where it's me. And model the behavior, right? Model the behavior that you want to see. So that's that's exactly right. You want to bring somebody along with you, but usually people will be able to do that a little bit better if you don't turn the spotlight on them, right? Right. They don't want to say, like, nobody wants to be, be told, like, let's talk about your problems. You know, let's talk about <laughs> right. our, let's talk about a strategy for me or let's talk about something that we can do together that will make us happier. That's a much right. better approach. Yeah, and we, so for me, I find that if I engage people to come with me instead of me focusing on what, they're not coming up to terms with, uh-huh. you know, I've already read the book and I've already done the work mm-hmm. yet. That's, we're not going anywhere. Right. Right. What's the goal to, to win the kudos points for having done the work or am I in the long-term relationship yeah. for this? Yeah. Do you want to be the right person or do you want to be the happy person or yeah. the happy couple? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's so important. Mm-hmm. Well, we are at our fast five All and right. I'm, we're going to just shift the energy just a little bit. Okay. And I'm going to ask you, these are personal questions for you. Okay. So what's the most expensive thing you ever bought that did not meet your expectations? Oh man. Okay. I know it because I was, when I was in MBA school, I was super poor. I was paying for my own education. I always had been. And so, um, there was this one event that we had where like there, one of the coveted internships was Nordstrom's and, uh, and we went to this Nordstrom's like thing that they were doing some event. And they of course were like using this as an opportunity to sell to us. And I really felt like I had to buy something or else I wasn't going to fit in with this group. And it was like the one, like one of the few times where I've actually like totally caved to that pressure. And I bought this jacket and I can't even like, I can't even say how expensive it was now. Like, I just can't even say it out loud, but I bought this jacket and I was like, okay, like, you know, this is going to like change my life. Like this one jacket. And I, it's still in my closet. I've probably worn it like in since in the 10 or 11 years since I graduated, I've probably worn it like three times. Like it's not even a full jacket. The sleeves don't even go down to my wrists. Like it doesn't keep me warm. It was the, the silliest, like, I like to this day, I'm still so disappointed in myself that I did not have the guts to just be like, I am not spending more money than I should on a dumb piece of clothing for North. That's funny. So you can say no, it's allowed. Yes. Be brave. <laughs> be brave. If you had one word to describe your relationship with money, what would it be? Ooh, uh, one word to describe my relationship with money. Um, dynamic. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Besides taxes, uh, what is uh, one thing you really hate spending money on? <laughs> um, it's interesting that I gave the Nordstrom story because I really don't like um, spending a ton of money on fashion. It's just not my thing. I'm like, I'm like, you paid three hundred dollars for jeans, and I can get like serviceable jeans for 50. Like right. I, I just am never going to be a, a brand chaser. So sometimes people ask me what I'm wearing and where it's from. And I'm like, Target. Yeah. Like I am not, I am not a fancy person. No, that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, if you won the, if you won the lottery, like hit it big, would you keep it a secret or would you tell people? That's a good question. I'd probably tell a select group of people and it would probably be just the people that I was giving money to because I feel like if I won the lottery, what I'd really want to do first and foremost is like make other people's lives better. Like really surprise some people with some things that they either need or really want that I'm close with. So I'd have to disclose to those people or else they'd be like, are you a drug dealer? And right. you know, I, I don't, I don't want to get turned in for anything. So, <laughs> so yeah, I would say a few people, but I'd probably keep it pretty quiet. That's awesome. Um, which, um, so besides the Nordstrom story, are there any other financial regrets that you have? Yeah. Um, 
Well, I will say, you know, the only other thing that I can think of is, um, you know, financing my uh, graduate degree was something that I really went into thinking more about like the school that I wanted to go to as opposed to what I was going to have to deal with in terms of the, the student loans afterwards. Right. So, you know, if I wasn't a 20 something that was trying to make this decision with far too little information, you know, I would have probably done things much differently. Yeah. Um, so that is something that I would say, like, I'm, I'm grateful for the education, but I wish that I had taken a different approach to, to financing it. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think there's a lot of people out there, they want that, uh, the, the brand name of the college yes. where they could get the same information, maybe at community college yes. or they're going into something that doesn't require it. Absolutely. Um, so think about that before you go into college yes. uh, uh, student loan debt. Um, real quick, what um, is a piece of practical advice or a piece of financial wealth wisdom that you can share because it's our M&M spot, our sweet spot. I love it. Yeah. So this one was super easy for me to think of. I, um, I think that, you know, every time I've gotten an increase at NEFI or every time I've got a bonus or something like that, or in any of my, any of my jobs, uh, the, the, the first thing I do is I increase the amount of money that is automatically going into my retirement savings accounts or my other savings accounts. So those always come out before I see my regular paycheck. And, uh, and that way I'm saving more, like the, the amount that I'm saving for retirement just increases automatically and I don't even see it. So rather than saying like, oh great, when I get this bonus, I'm going to sit down and figure out how much, just like plan for the fact that you're going to get that or plan for the fact that you're going to get that raise beforehand and like automatically have that money go somewhere else so you never see it and you never miss it. That's awesome. Well, you know, I know we're coming to the end here, but you know, Chelsea, what I've really been hearing today is a lot of openness and a willingness to explore mm -hmm. versus especially with couples um, and not this who's at fault and who to blame. And even in your own life, I hear you saying, okay, that was regret, but I don't hear you saying, like, I need to beat myself up for the rest of my life. Absolutely. Um, it's not too late to jump in the game of getting better informed about finances and making choices. Like, wherever you are, today is the day yeah. to just make an improvement. Even one little baby step towards a better financial future can be achieved. And I, I, I love that you're passionate about educating people it's so important. People, you're not alone. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There is help. You just have to reach out with your left or your right hand or pick up the phone or go to the internet. And we can all have more financial literacy in our lives. Um, there's no shame. And uh, Chelsea, I just appreciate that you, you're, uh, Nifi is out here sponsoring this and that you're out there really trying to actually make a difference for people that are out there who don't have the tools. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I totally agree with what you said. I mean, it like every day is a chance to do something different. Every day is a chance to be, to be and do better, to be better as a couple, to do better as a couple, to be better for yourself. Right. So don't be ashamed. Don't, don't feel like you have to hide things. Just, just take a new opportunity and a fresh start because we have a chance every single day to do that until we don't have any more days. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you. Great talking. Well,